this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. So um, we'll first talk about a neonatal presentation. Um, you're called to the neonatal intensive care unit. There's a 38-week gestational age baby that had a prenatal diagnosis of uh, VSD with concern for some outflow tract obstruction, potentially uh, tetralogy. Um, they empirically placed the kid on prostaglandins um, due to cyanosis at birth. APGARs were eight and nine. Uh, the kid's now stable on a uh, little blow by oxygen, but have called you to evaluate. Okay. Um, so I'd start by um, going and seeing and evaluating the patient. Um, I'd want to obtain a, a complete history, both a maternal uh, a fetal history, as well as like pregnancy history, as well as a family history of any congenital defects. And then um, you've kind of outlined the early neonatal perinatal course here as well, um, but any any additional things that have come up from a from a hemodynamic instability standpoint as well. Yeah, no no abnormalities. The mom had an uneventful pregnancy, was compliant with prenatal therapy, um, had regular follow-ups, um, no prior children, no history of congenital heart disease. Um, they've obtained a chest x-ray, which um, shows some decreased pulmonary vasculature. Um, and uh, an EKG, which is uh, normal, the exception of some uh, mild right ventricular hypertrophy. And um, they're at the bedside now uh, working on the echo. So what are some things that you're gonna talk to them about? Um, so I wanna talk to them about it as part of the detailed echocardiogram to uh, get a good assessment of um, the biventricular function for this child. Um, I'd want to have an assessment of any uh, degree of outflow tract obstruction since that was more questionable, um, as well as the um, directionality on the shunt um, through the known VSD. And then uh, if we are able to, I'd also like to get a good assessment of the pulmonary uh, arteries and their size as well, um, and then see how this response has been to the prostaglandin infusion so far. Yeah, there's a so there's a small duct um, that is left to right, and um, the PAs look look of reasonable size. The Z scores are within normal limits. Uh, the biventricular function uh, is normal. There's a very large, uh, what's described as an anterior malalignment VSD. So there's overriding of the aorta on the septum. Um, and the conus is resulting in some infundibular obstruction, however, it's mild. Um, they tell you it's about two meters per second. The pulmonary valve annulus is um, about minus 2.5 Z-score, um, and uh, your shunt is currently left to right. Um, there's mild TR, uh, no other abnormalities. Okay. Um, so I think it's an, it's an overall fairly reassuring echocardiogram, albeit consistent with tetralogy. Um, with a relatively normal size pulmonary valve annulus and normal pulmonary arteries, I'd expect this child would be able to, um, to wean off prostaglandin with some therapy over the, the next day or so. 
and so I'd, I'd proceed to try to work on that with the ultimate goal of letting him kind of gain weight and medically manage his physiology before um, undertaking a definitive repair of his tetralogy. Okay, so um, we'll change the scenario slightly and um, they have the same kid, same history, um, presents uh, five days of life uh, with similar birth history, they've weaned off prostaglandins, and the kids' oxygen saturations are less than 80%. Um, they're on uh, two liters nasal cannula, <clears throat> and uh, the pulmonary valve annulus is around uh, z-score of minus three, and the uh, gradient across the subvalvar and valvar regions is approaching four meters per second. So I think that this is um, more consistent with a child who's struggling from a from a pulmonary blood flow standpoint um, with a stenotic pulmonary valve um, uh, on nasal cannula, not not intubated, but um, one who'd be more likely to um, need a, a repair earlier rather than uh, the other child we were talking about. Okay, so. Um you talk with the cardiologist and you both agree that failure to wean from prostaglandins is an indication for surgery. Um, how are you going to counsel the parents about your plan for the OR? Um, so for the uh, for the first child or for the uh, second for the, child? For the second child. For the second so child. This, this kid clearly needs an operation. <laughs> he has an oxygen requirement um, that's increasing after the wean of prostaglandins. and. Um, he has no other contraindications to go into the OR. Uh, head ultrasound's normal, he's not premature. So I'd counsel the patient's family that, um, you know, with a small annulus of that size, it's unlikely that we'd be able to preserve his valve in, a, in his repair of his tetralogy. Um, and so that would include, his repair would include an infundibular patch extending under the, the proximal main PA. Um, I'd counsel them about the risk of heart block with repair of the VSD. Um, I'd counsel them uh, on the risk of uh, a residual VSD uh, after repair. Um, and then I'd also counsel them about the long-term effects of, um, uh, of uh, doing a transannular patch, which would be the potential for, for um, uh, an intervention with a pulmonary valve replacement in the future. Okay. So <clears throat> the parents are in agreement with surgery. The cardiologist agrees. However, he comes back to you and he says that he's concerned that the uh, branch pulmonary arteries look small and they're around a z-score of minus two and ask what your thoughts are on uh, complete repair versus uh, shunt in the setting of small PAs. Um, I think what I'd, what I'd uh, discuss with them and the family as well is that um, particularly in such a young child, the pulmonary arteries are fairly compliant. And so it's fairly likely that if we restore normal pulmonary blood flow that they would um, distend and be normal. Um, that can be confirmed with uh, Hagar dilators in the OR, which can, can give us an assessment of how compliant they are. Um, but by and large, um, a pulmonary artery plasty is, is unlikely, although we'd have to assess for that in the OR uh, based on the distensibility. Okay, great. So you, you go to the operating room. How are you going to set the case up, and uh, what do you plan to do? Yeah, so um, so the median sternotomy, um, uh, we would do a bicable cannulation. I think there are multiple approaches. One is 
to do the uh, muscular resection and VSD closure through the right atrium, but I'm most familiar with doing it through uh, the infundibular patch, particularly in a child who's going to have a transannular patch as well. Um, so uh, we would use a uh, bicable cannulation, um, uh, mild hypothermia, and uh, arrest the uh, rest of the child. Um, Preoperatively, I want to make sure that we have a good assessment of the coronary anatomy. Um, I suppose in this child who needs to go to the OR uh, regardless, we can assess that based on the surface anatomy as well, but it'd be important to know whether or not their um, left main uh, or left anterior descending artery uh, comes off of the right side, right coronary or not, um, as that would change the preoperative plan. Okay. All right, so you get in the operating room, you uh, inspect the coronaries, and your preoperative echoes show that there was a clear uh, left main bifurcation into the circumflex and LAD. There's a prominent conal branch off your right coronary, but um, you agree on your intraoperative inspection that there's clearly a LAD going to the apex off the left coronary. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you give your dose of anti cardioplegia, you open the right atrium, you put your vent through the septum, and then uh, you open the infundibulum and you see uh, complex muscle bundle hypertrophy. Um, how are you going to sort the anatomy out? Um, so I think that what I want to ensure that I don't um, uh, resect a portion of the tricuspid subvalvular apparatus and the supporting structures, so I want to trace that back to the, the tricuspid chordae. Um, to identify important, um, like the moderator band is supporting that, um, and then resect um, really this, the, the um, or divide the muscle, which is tethering the RVOT um, to open that off the track. Okay, so you open it up, you pass a Hagar down through the uh, infundibulum into the right ventricle, you feel that you've relieved the majority of the obstruction, and there's a large uh, anterior malalignment ventricular septal defect um, that's uh, pretty standard anatomy, and uh, you close that with a, a Gore-Tex patch. Then you <clears throat> transition to looking at the uh, pulmonary valve, and the kid's about five kilos now. Um, and in looking at the pulmonary valve, you size it to uh, around four millimeters. In diameter, um, you choose to open up the PA and look at it from the top. What are the things that you're going to be looking at to determine whether you save the valve or, or uh, do a full transannular patch? So I think um, the leaflet anatomy would be would be important. Um, if you know if it's bicuspid, tricuspid, tricuspid leaflets, um, and then the extent of whether a um, like a commissurotomy will relieve a portion of the obstruction. Um, that would be one thing that would be a, a potential for this child, but it's, it's a fairly s- small on the lower end, right? I think that if, um, you know, if I had any concern, I wouldn't have too much hesitation about just doing a transannular patch um, uh, and relieving the obstruction primarily as the goal. Okay. Yeah, the measurements that you're getting are pretty consistent with what the preoperative echo showed, and your z-score was around minus three. So with all that, you decide to do a transannular patch. You cut across the uh, valve, which um, <clears throat> opens up the annulus and extend that into your supravalvar incision. Um, what are you going to patch your outflow with? Um, t- uh, traditionally, we've used gourmet 
core matrix or um, uh, as a uh, as a uh, a patch of the transannular patch, as opposed to Gore-Tex, something which incorporates a little bit more um, a little bit more scar. Okay. Um, okay, great. You um, you start to your wean-off bypass, you DR left heart, right? you take your clamp off, and uh, you're in sinus rhythm, and the uh, sonographer tells you that there is a moderate size residual ventricular septal defect um, up near the aortic valve annulus. Um, how are you gonna evaluate that, and what are gonna be your criteria to go back on bypass? Um, I think that the uh, first thing to do would be to, you know, we've already given an, an echo, a sonographer, echo sonographer graphic assessment of it, but um, to do a, a shunt fraction and see what the, what the um, uh, QP to QS is for this and see if it's a significant based on that. Okay, so you do a shunt fraction and it's two to one. And that's, it's kind of right on the borderline, but I think that that in that child, it probably would be worthwhile to repair that um, uh, residual BSD. Okay. All right. Um, so you, you go back on, you repair the VSD, you come off bypass, and you've relieved the gradient through the right ventricular outflow tract. So we'll go back to the first child um, who recovered from their neonatal resuscitation. Um, they have favorable anatomy. Um, but a borderline uh, pulmonary valve. Um, they spend their first week of life in the hospital. Um, their oxygen saturations are in the high 80s, uh, not on oxygen. Um, when are you gonna tell the parents that you'd like to do the repair? I think ideally, um, you know, in my training, I've, I've uh, been taught to repair these around six months of age. Um, there's some, uh, some people talk about repairing it slightly later. Uh, but in a, a child who's otherwise growing well, a definitive repair would be at six months of age would be would be sufficient for growth. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so generally, I would say probably four to six weeks for true TET anatomy. I think if you have more BSD physiology um, okay. without any outflow tract obstruction, then um, you can wait a little bit longer. So you tell them four to six weeks. And um, unfortunately, the child represents um, rather unpredictably at um, three weeks of age and is cyanotic. Um, SATs are in the 60s in the emergency department. Um, there's uh, evidence of profound cyanosis, and the uh, chest x ray demonstrates decreased pulmonary blood flow. The echocardiogram uh, tells you that um, there's been a fairly rapid progression of the infundibular hypertrophy such that the gradient's now about uh, four to five meters per second and there's clearly um, subvalvar obstruction. So um, faced with what you diagnose as an acute uh, TET spell, how are you going to treat that? I think the First things to do are to um, you know ensure that we have ad adequate oxygenation by uh, intubating the child, um, uh, providing better saturation, um, volume resuscitate if, if there are any issues with hypotension. Um, but um, his physiology is also going to be one of a right to left, uh, or sorry, yeah, right right to left shunt, and so um, 
so increasing his uh, systemic venous resistance will be helpful. So some alpha alpha agents would be helpful for him as well. Okay. Um, any other pharmacologic modalities? Um, I think beta blockade is also helpful in the, these children as well. Okay. So you put the kid on propranolol, you give them an alpha agonist, you sedate them, you put them on oxygen, and you stabilize the child. Um, he improves from a metabolic standpoint and systemic oxygen delivery. Um, however, it's clear that he needs a, a rather emergent uh, operative intervention to relieve his alpha tract obstruction. Um, and you decide to um, do uh, complete repair. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll move on now to um, after a complete repair, um, a new patient um, that you operated on as a child uh, presents at age 25, had um, a transannular patch in uh, infancy um, and has done quite well. Um, there's no residual uh, shunts, intracardiac shunts. There's um, good LV function, there's mildly reduced RV function, and there's evidence of both um, of uh, severe uh, pulmonary valve insufficiency as you would uh, anticipate, um, and some uh, prolongation of their QRS on uh, EKG. And they present to you because of uh, exercise intolerance and uh, decreased aerobic capacity. Okay. Um. So yeah, you know, I, I discussed the kind of timing and the and the duration of these symptoms. Any other um, uh, symptoms of, of heart failure or congestion? Um, I think it'd be important to know if there's any um, things that are any other things that are considered with a right-sided dysfunction, such as liver dysfunction, uh, for uh, for this uh, this young patient as well. Um, and then um, and then I talked to them about the the indications for a pulmonary valve replacement in somebody who's having symptomatic severe uh, pulmonary valve regurgitation. Okay, so in consultation with your cardiologist, you all uh, discussed that there are MRI-derived criteria for uh, pulmonary valve replacement, and you get an MRI. Uh, the right ventricular end diastolic volume index is 180. Uh, the right ventricular and systolic index is around 100. The RV function is estimated at about 40%. The regurgitant fraction of the valve is 35%. Um, and unfortunately, in consultation with your interventional colleagues, the pulmonary valve annulus is, is too large for a, a percutaneous approach for repair. Um, so you uh, counsel your patient that there is an indication for pulmonary valve replacement and uh, if you could just walk me through what the operation entails. Yeah, so I think an important part of the preoperative assessment is to um, assess the, the spacing between the coronary arteries and the pulmonary, the pulmonary artery as well as, as part of the preoperative planning. Um, but um, for this patient, it would be um, uh, the plan would be for a tissue valve replacement in the pulmonary position, um, reoperative sternotomy, um, preoperative CT angiogram would be helpful to assess reentry, and so I'd want that as well. Um, barring kind of a uh, like a high risk reentry, I'd uh, perform a median you know redo median sternotomy, 
a, um, uh, a bicable cannulation with snares. Um, and, um, you know, you can perform these without arresting the heart, but I, I think that in an otherwise um, normal left ventricular function, um, I would probably arrest the heart to make sure that there's no uh, question about the quality of stitches and, and you know, closeness to the, uh, the coronaries and that aeropulmonary groove. Um, Are there any things on the echo that you would be particularly uh, concerned about that would push you in one direction or the other, whether to arrest the heart? I think um, uh, closeness of the coronaries in the in that a the aeropulmonary groove would be would be one primary. Um, it would be, certainly be one thing that would um, sway me towards uh, arresting the heart. Um, a, uh, if he has a residual atrial level shunt, um, I'd arrest the heart. Uh, there are oftentimes we leave, we leave behind an atrial level shunt which closes, but I'd want to know that. And um, those would be the primary things. Good. Good. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you did a nice job. I think those are, those are the main, I think, scenarios that are um, helpful um, to familiarize yourself with tetralogy. And, you know, when we think about tetralogy, I think grouping them into um, probably three groups is the best way to think about it anatomically and physiologically, one being tetralogy without any right ventricular outflow tract obstruction, so more BSD physiology, but a tet-type BSD. Um, oftentimes those are referred to as pink tets. Um, then tetralogy with pulmonary stenosis, which is what we focused on in this discussion, and then tetralogy with pulmonary atresia, um, which brings in the potential for aortopulmonary collaterals and a rather complex surgical management strategy. So um, just in recap, going over a couple things, um, you did a nice job walking through um, the decision algorithm with your echo and evaluating your pulmonary valve annulus size. Um, as we discussed here and as you appropriately um, chose, um, the discipline is certainly moving towards complete repair even in infancy. Um, the traditional um, practices have oftentimes entertained um, utilizing either a shunt or a right ventricular outflow tract patch um, to palliate children until a complete repair, but as our experience has grown with neonatal surgery, um, we as a discipline have moved towards more complete uh, TET repairs in infancy. Um, I think having a uh, conceptual understanding of um, shunt and RVOT patching as potential palliative steps um, are particularly beneficial in children that have contraindications to complete repair, particularly those that might have a contraindication of cardiopulmonary bypass and that may be able to undergo a shunt without um, being on pump. Um, generally, if the pulmonary valve annulus um, is greater than a z-score of minus two, um, then that pulmonary valve um, is likely to be able to pre be preserved with commissurotomies. The majority of pulmonary valves in tetralogy are bicuspid, um, and you can open up the valve sufficiently. However, the gray area is really in between a minus two and minus three z-score, and then less than a minus three, generally uh, nearly all those children require a, a transannular patch. I would probably use um, pericardium, either autologous or bovine, um, as um, you know, you're really trying not to have scar and you want redundancy in your patch um, such that um, 
you know, really any patch material likely works, uh, but um, I think the traditional experience is to use um, pericardium um, to uh, preserve long-term uh, patency. Um, and you appropriately alluded to um, PA size. Um, you know, we know that the uh, pulmonary arteries branch PAs are very compliant in neonates, and so I would not let a uh, pulmonary artery z-score preoperatively um, dictate the need for either pulmonary branch pulmonary augmentation or shunt. Um, I think sizing the PAs intraoperatively is a very appropriate step and the majority of these children will have larger PAs once flow is restored to them. The residual VSD I think is an important point because um, tetralogy children um, have protected pulmonary vasculature, therefore their PVR is going to be low. So after the repair, they handle a residual shunt very poorly. Um, they'll have much more flow through a, a small shunt as a result of that. And they're used to a chronic pressure load rather than a chronic volume load. And so making sure that you've relieved both the obstruction but also the shunt is um, uh, an important factor, particularly in neonatal TET repairs. Um, you did a nice job managing the, the TET spell, um, I think sedation, decreasing the right to left shunt and trying to shift the shunt to um, left to right um, by alpha agonism, uh, propranolol. Really the mechanism of propranolol is debated but there's um, thought to be um, an effect of uh, relaxing the uh, infundibular muscle uh, with uh, beta agonism. And then um, the indications for pulmonary valve replacement, um, you know, we generally get MRIs in all of these um, young adults and um, older adults in determining when their candidacy for uh, pulmonary valve replacement. And the volumetric indices are really the primary driver. So um, right ventricular end diastolic volume index greater than generally 150 and then an end systolic volume index of, um, greater than 80. Um, decreased RV function, so the, the cutoff's um, 47%, um, but any decrease in function should prompt um, evaluation of the pulmonary valve, an increase in the QRS duration, um, and then a decrease in the aerobic capacity, so less than 70% VO2 max um, would be all the indications for uh, uh, pulmonary valve replacement. A lot of these are moving towards uh, transcatheter therapies, and so, but still having knowledge of you know surgical pulmonary valve replacement is critical. And uh, these patients are particularly high risk for reduced sternotomy, so I would just you know encourage you and all these patients to have a good understanding of the femoral vasculature, so that you're ready to initiate bypass uh, through the groins. Is oftentimes the um, patch or conduit if they've had a conduit in the past. Um, is scarred to the chest. Um, those are important things to consider. Um, one other special consideration that um, we alluded to but didn't touch on was the uh, potential for a, a LAD off the right. Um, when you're faced with that, um, the preparation or the technique would be to um, place an RV to PA conduit over uh, the LAD, so you'd make an infundibular incision as you did. Um, resector muscle bundle, close your VSD, and then um, have what would be a dual supply to the main pulmonary artery. So you would build a conduit from your infundibular incision over uh, the LAD off the right and onto the main pulmonary artery. Uh, but overall, very nice job.